Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning and welcome to another day at P.I.'s Declassified. You know, this is, we're going into our 11th year of this show is just uh, incredible how time flies. And today I'm uh, I'm excited to introduce somebody that's been with us before, Mr. William Blake. We call him Bill. Hi, Bill. Hey there. Nice to have you on the show. Bill's, uh, you know, I've known Bill for a number of years. Bill, I think the last time I saw you was, oh my gosh, in Atlantic City maybe? It's a... Uh, probably... Right? Yeah, that sounds right. That was at the World Investigators Conference put on by PI Magazine. And, uh, yeah, I think that was uh, the last time I saw you. So it's nice to talk to you. You're, you're still in Colorado, I understand. Yes, I live in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, which is just south of Denver. I know exactly where that is because 100 years ago when I lived in Colorado, uh, my husband and I looked at a place uh, in that area, so I know exactly where it is. <laughs> I know where Glenwood Springs is, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, Bill, you have such a, an amazing career, uh, just, I was just looking at your bio, and I'd seen this before, but I just... Uh, you have uh, more than 55 years in investigations from from the military into civil and criminal investigations. What, that is what, correct. What, is your, what do you think has been your best experience? Well, I think I have over, right now just about 60 years of experience in investigations and security consulting and I've worked in various uh, jurisdictions across the United States and in Germany and in Asia. And I've learned an awful lot from the foreign investigators. They are not stupid people. They have their own way of doing things. For example, when I was in Germany, we had a GI that got killed in a railroad yard making a shortcut to the local beer garden, and they produced a sketch, a scale model sketch, including the clumps of grass between the uh, tracks. It was fantastic, better than any I've ever seen in the U.S. Wow. I uh, have learned an awful lot over the years, and the one thing that I have found in the current private investigation and security consulting professions is that an awful lot of people have fantastic investigative and security skills, but non-existent business skills, and therefore uh, a lot of them are retirees from other agencies where they had clerical staff to do their work for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've learned a lot. I have a, mass, a bachelor's degree in place administration from Michigan State, where all of the instructors were 
retired senior cops, and they really had the been there, done that knowledge. Uh, I have a second. I have a master's degree in adult education, and about twenty credits towards a second master's in uh, criminal justice, which I was unable to con- to complete because. The army decided they wanted to move me, and they didn't ask my permission. So <laughs> they didn't. I'm so there. surprised. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, I'm kind of interested, though, Bill, because uh, I know you were responsible for uh, implementing as well as designing an expanded curriculum for criminal investigation for D- DOD for Department of Defense. Why did you end up going into security instead of criminal investigations? Okay, when I went into, went to graduate from college, my friendly draft board number 13 in Vermont <laughs> gave me a deal I couldn't turn down. Uh-huh. I could either enlist or get drafted, and being a certified coward, I did not want to be in the infantry, and having worked for the university police department while in college, I didn't want to be an MP swinging my arms at a gate. So I went into counterintelligence for two and a half years, which was a fabulous experience. I was both in the United States and in Germany. Mm. Then to get back into my first special interest, I transferred into the Army Criminal Investigation Division as a special agent. I was a field agent. I was a operations officer. I was a supervisor. I was a unit commander, and I spent seven years as an instructor in criminal investigation in the Army. Mm-hmm. And uh, because one of the things that people don't realize sometimes is that when you're an instructor, you, you sometimes learn more from the uh, students than you teach them because they come from different environments and they have different backgrounds. Uh, but I've taught both basic level criminal investigation and to uh, executive, or as they call them in the Army, general level courses. And I've also done several presentations at the high school and college level. And it's been interesting because some of the people are totally naive about what is investigation. And the thing is, investigation, in my opinion, is one of two complementing business services. First of all, private investigation or any investigation is a reactive uh, program, whereas security consulting, which is much more uh, financially uh, beneficial, is a proactive uh, business skill. In other words, why if you can investigate an incident, you probably have adequate information to prevent, to devise strategies for advancing uh, prevention efforts. So mm-hmm. if somebody steals from your uh, loading dock, you can sit back and say, okay, how do I stop this kind of action, and that's where the money is. And you have to get out and work as a business partner with a client. You have to make him 
realize that you're a professional, you know what you're talking about, and you can help with his return on investment. And when private investigator learns to business skills and talks about marketing, how to market your business, how can I provide a return on investment, that's when you really become successful. We have a lot of one-man operations or one-woman operation that's just getting by. And then you have some of them, like one organization in Texas that has over 50 investigators working for them, and they are doing very, very well. So you have to take a look at the business market and say, who can I work with where I can get some money and they can get some advice on how to better secure their properties. So, so I've worked as a, a security officer at a hotel because nobody wanted to hire me as a because I was overqualified when I retired. Yeah. And then I've worked as a bank with multiple locations, and I've conducted uh, regional seminars, and I've been a speaker at numerous seminars. So uh, I've got a fair idea, or at least I think I have an idea now that I can spell P-I. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you said it uh, that uh, uh, criminal investigations was re- are reactive or investigation, well, investigations are reactive and security is proactive, but, but don't you find that uh, many businesses don't see the need for a plan, a security plan, unless they have an incident? Well, I have never met a business person who could explain to me what premises liability and negligent security were. And every state has a premises liability law of some type that says the business owner is required to make sure that he takes a reasonable and appropriate countermeasures to protect the people on his property, whether they're customers, employees, or what have you. And they don't understand that, yes, it's expensive to get a risk assessment to do you, to find out what you have to worry about and develop appropriate measures. But when the average rollover, play dead, get out of my hair, uh, settlement or judgment averages $600,000 plus attorney's fees, and they are very adept at increasing the the fees. It costs a heck of a lot more to lose, Uh, and if you do it right, you're going to win over 50% of the time. So uh, I try to get into the preventive business because that's where the business is. You can make money as an investor. You know, why should I work for surveillance for $25 an hour when I can charge hundreds of dollars for other stuff? Well, exactly, and people are paying for your expertise, for sure. And I'm I'm just thinking that even though it's it's, uh, not a related uh, situation, but the disaster in Miami-Dade with the failure of the building is is a great example that of preventative measures could have made a huge difference in the millions of dollars that are now going to be spent uh, regarding that d- disaster. 
that's going to be a multi, multi-million dollar settlement or judgment in the long run. And then you have another one, the Paws uh, Bar or Grill, or whatever they call it. I think it was in Orlando. That's uh-huh. still got a pending lawsuit. And we've got right. a big pending lawsuit right here in uh, Highlands Ranch over the STEM school shooting. So, uh, right. you know... It's return on investment. You have to go in and explain to these people, look, if you don't do it, you are accepting total loss because insurance companies will drop you like a rock if they can find a little niche somewhere, and then you're left holding the total, and your insurance isn't going to work for you. So I try to convince them just on dollars and cents, prevention costs an awful lot less than settling a negligent security claim because attorneys come up with the darndest ideas of what was negligent security. Right. And you have to be prepared. Right. And that all starts with... Go ahead. So I I was just going to say it, but I, I... you know, we Americans, we're, we kind of are lulled into believing that nothing's going to happen to us or nothing's going to happen to my business. And so how do you sell yeah. that, Bill? How do you sell, uh, you know, because I know your fees are high and the cost of, of, of what you're proposing is high. So how do you sell that to them other than just talking about prevention? Okay, let's talk. Let's use mass shootings as an example. The number, I don't know, it's quite high. It's in excess of 300 separate shootings in the first six months of this year. Okay. And they are, there's no really identifiable venue for these shootings. They happen in offices and schools, any place where there's people. So that's one strategy that I use. Another thing is when it comes to return on investment. If you have a business where you have a mass shooting and several people are killed, what does it do to your reputation? I ain't going there no more. That's a dangerous place. Yeah, exactly. And they have to realize that there's a uh, hit on their personal and business reputations if something goes wrong. It's put people out of business. Yeah, it has, for sure. It, I mean, we see it happen over and over. And and again, you know, you see something happen like in Florida or in Colorado or, you know, wherever, and you, you think that's not, that's never going to happen to me, but it does. It happens yeah. close to home. So, um, And what it does, it gets expensive. It's expensive, and, you know, there's usually loss of lives, like what we're, like what we're seeing. So... You you've written, oh my gosh! I was trying to count the number of books you've written, or uh, articles you've authored. It's a lot. So uh, I'm looking at them right here. What is what is the one that you did? Is that is your most favorite that you like that you did the best? Well, I from I'm a firm believer that. For credibility purposes, you do writing because if you do some do some writing and it's out of line, you are going to hear about it. There's two of them that I've written. One of them is a blueprint for business safety and security, a guide for protecting your business, 
And the second one is an introduction to security consulting, a lucrative business service. Both of these were published by Charles Thomas Publisher, but they're also available on Amazon and so on. And I think the writing part of it is you learn when you start reviewing other documents and so on, you learn an awful lot. And when you put it in writing, it's going out to all kinds of people. And you get reviews, and some of them are very good, and some of them they wasted their time. But that's how you develop credibility. You're putting in writing what you think and what you know. And that's where uh, a lot of our private investigators and security people don't realize the value of putting together articles and getting submitted to outfits like PI Magazine, PI Now, and some of these others. Mm-hmm. And now you're not just somebody uh, out in the middle of nowhere. You, it helps your credibility. It shows a, a lot for you. Now, if I am in, get a case here in uh, Colorado and I need somebody in Oregon, to help me finish up in the lead. How are you going to do it? Can you go in to say, well, they're a member of a state organization? Well, that's true. Some of them have some great qualifications, and some of them only qualification is your check doesn't bounce. And then is this guy, uh, I went to PI school last night, or is he experienced? So what I'm saying, you have, when you put out, documents, no matter what you write on, that gives the people an idea of who you are and what you can do. And I recommend to anybody who's crazy enough to listen to me that the <laughs> value of writing is un- is an unbelievable asset. I edited three books for Intellinet where the chapters were written by investigators who went to some of the best schools in the country and worked for the most prestigious organizations. But they couldn't write worth a darn. And they should take writing courses. I've had investigators send me a report handwritten in pencil on a piece of lined paper. Really? I mean, you know, what kind of professionalism is that? I had to redo that investigation because the guy, uh, he did a pretty good job. He had a variety of uh, reasons why something couldn't be done. So, I mean, the investigator and security consultant has got to get into the business mode. They are not private investigators. They are not security consultants. They are business people providing investigative and security services. And if you can't talk and know how to meet people, uh, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I put together at one time an article on how to conduct your first meeting with a corporate executive. I don't deal with Joe Schmuck, the security manager. I deal with the guys who sign the checks and authorize the payments. And you can't walk in to most of those outfits and find 
uh, CEO who is under 60 years of age. Now, he's from a generation like you and I are, where we had different standards and different uh-huh. ways. Uh, I had a young man who wanted to uh, be a security guard when I was working in the banks, and he came walking in wearing flip-flop shorts and a torn tank top. <laughs> now, right. the only thing I said to him was, get out. <laughs> I mean, you have to look presented. Now it seems to be the fad that everybody has tattoos from right. one end to the other. <laughs> and to me, in particular, I don't think that is presents a professional appearance. Uh-huh. So, uh, I mean, you have to consider the generation of the person you're talking with as to what is going to be acceptable to, to the person that you want to be your client. So. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, let's ba- Bill, let's back up a second because I want people to know what IntelliNet is. You mentioned that you okay. reviewed articles for IntelliNet. So, tell tell us about what IntelliNet is and why that organization is beneficial. Okay, IntelliNet is an international association of private investigators and security consultants. They have about 600 members across the United States and in more than 60 international locations. The difference between Intelnet and some of the state associations, Intelnet has a requirement for the applicant to have a minimum of 10 years of verifiable experience and they do a background investigation, a limited background investigation to make sure the person is who they are, and they have the proper uh, professional experience and ethics to be a good representative of the organization. And they have many guys that have all kinds of specialized experience in computer forensics, accounting forensics, and just about any skill that you can, and you can use it by subcontracting to these guys. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what Intel is. So it's been a long time since you guys have all gotten together in person. I'm, I'm thinking a couple of years, maybe. Well, if people would quit getting uh, <laughs> communicable diseases, we would be doing better. Yeah, yeah. We, we've yeah. done yeah. some over uh, webinars and so on over Zoom, but uh, there's nothing like getting together and swapping lies with your contemporaries. Exactly. Exactly. There's nothing like that, for sure. So, Kelly wouldn't oh, do that, would they? No, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, California Association <laughs> just had a virtual conference last last weekend, and it was it was well done, but it was still, it's not like getting together in person, for sure. We're going to take a quick break to uh, feature our sponsors here. We'll be right back. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is Bill Blake. Bill is a certified protection professional, a certified fraud examiner, and just has years and years and years of experience of all kinds of things, but mainly in the security and premises liability area. Bill, you were, you know, you were just talking about a bit ago about reviewing these articles for these members of IntelNet, and I just wonder what you what you said to them. Did you just say you you couldn't review it, or did you give them some constructive criticism, or how did you handle that? I rewrote a bunch of them and sent them back to the author for uh, to get them published. But really? I didn't change the concept. Most of it was basic English, hmm. and uh, you know. A lot of people should realize that when they're going to write an article, the first thing to do is write out a few key points that you want to cover and then go down them and don't skip around it. Try to go in a logical order so you don't confuse the people. But anyways, uh, most of the information, and I say the information was fantastic. It's just that they weren't uh, the world's best uh, writers because they, they weren't organized. So. Well, it's true, and I, I find that as well, Bill, when I uh, hire investigators or I'm training people. You know, you may have a good investigator and you may have a person that, that writes well. It's hard to find somebody that can do both. Yeah, I agree with you. That is a big problem. And a lot of investigators are reluctant to admit they can't do it. I taught report writing for seven years and how to do it in a manner that was professional and yet somebody could understand what you were talking about. So I guess I'm a little critical, but that is a part of your uh, credibility. You, Like I say, you could find maybe the best investigator in the world, but if you can't tell people what you do, mm-hmm. you're not going to work. That's right. So... So we um, have, to have to develop business skills. You know how do what does this client expect from me, and how do I provide it in a manner that's understandable and comprehensive? I've seen a lot of cases where you give a person a project to do, and there's something that's critical to your investigation, but you didn't ask him to do it. And they don't volunteer to do it or tell you that you ought to do it. So uh, comprehensive is something that 
is lacking in a lot of reports. So what advice would you have for the, for an investigator that wants to publish something? What kinds of things would you tell them to do? Yeah, say that again, Francis. It's a little hard to yeah. hear you. Oh, sorry. I said, what what kinds of um, what kind of advice would you give someone that wants to write a book or write an article, and what kinds of things would you tell them to do? Well, first of all, know what you're talking about, and go in and the, for for me, the internet has been a fabulous uh, source of leads. Uh, you know, you don't go in and copy everything off the internet and call it your book, but it gives right. you ideas of where to go. And uh, they need to look at what they're writing, not like they're writing to another private investigator or security guy, mm-hmm. but what does this unknown client need to know and how do I get presented to him? Right. That's so, true. You, you know. You, you don't write into a guy that's running a liquor store and try to tell him how to buy his, his liquor. Right. Now you tell him how to protect it, but not how to buy it. So do you have any other topics that you haven't written on that you'd like to do? Well, one of the ones that I've done recently, and uh, is the one that appeared in the last uh, PI magazine, on domestic terrorism is providing business opportunities. To me, you, if the private investigator or security consultant keeps an eye on the, what's going on, you can get business that way. Like, for instance, here in Colorado, there's a, a big inquiry into one of the major government uh, divisions, and uh, it's good for you know a couple hundred thousand dollars. Why not bid on it? And that way, you know, if you've got a, and have a CV that's comprehensive, not a one-page, gosh, I'm a good guy type, but it's something that demonstrates your abilities, your experiences, and so on. So, uh, you know, that's like terrorism. You don't know where it's going to happen. I mean, if you're lucky, it isn't going to happen. But, mm-hmm. if, like, I've been to law firms where they have, a glass front on their reception area, okay? Right. So they, and everything is wide open. You go in and go through the bypass the desk and you're back to where all the lawyers are drinking coffee. So what you do, you know, simple thing, put a lock, uh, electric lock on the door so you can stop who's coming in and who's not. And mm-hmm. then you develop techniques and strategies for protecting people. So you have to look at uh, the future. What could happen? Not what will happen, but what could happen in this place. And you have to explain it to it. So therefore, I recommend that every private investigator who's even considering going into the proactive mode Take a look at the premises liability and the exit security laws of their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Review the cases to see what the problems are and what do you have for uh, reasonable and, and appropriate countermeasures. I have a 17-page checklist for uh, 
comprehensive risk assessment that I'll share with anybody who, who, who wants it. All they have to do is request it, and I'll send it to them. So, well, that's, uh, thank you. you know, yeah, and what it does, see, the risk assessment is designed to be able to say, I, the business owner, identified all of the possible risks to my business, either from within my property area or from the neighborhood. Like, for instance, what is the crime rate? Uh, what is the, the demographics? Do you have truck drivers? Do you have uh, houses of ill repute, as they say? And do you have a heavy drug and gang operation? Mm-hmm. That's one, you know, there's your thing. Now, how do you stop them from coming onto your property? So, you know, and if you, a lot of people figure that if they outsource their security for their business, they're home free. They're not. They can outsource, by law, and this is court decisions, that you can outsource the conduct of your security, but you cannot outsource the responsibility for it. And a lot of them think that, you know, hey, I got a contract, I'm safe. Well, who writes the contract? Usually the security company. Who does that contract really protect? It's not the client. It's a a vendor. So there's different things you can look at. But, and you know, if you can get to be kind of a business partner with a client, especially if he has multiple locations around the country or he has a really big complex operation. You get in with him, he keep you in bread and beans for quite a while. <laughs> I like that, bread and beans. <laughs> so, well, I, as you're talking, no, Bill, not I'm allowed just... to say, not allowed to say booze. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So I'm just thinking as you're talking that I would say that, that, uh, there's a lot of private investigating agencies that need to do the same thing we're talking about recommending to clients. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's like I've made presentations on how to market your business, and I start off with what we've been talking about. No, be a businessman, not an investigator. You know, and look at it from their point of view and talk in their language. And, and you're right, Bill. I mean, it, it's it's consistent throughout the profession, unfortunately, because most folks that become private investigators have a law enforcement background of some kind, which doesn't teach you business skills. Well, I know when I went into CID the first day there, they told me who the boss was, where the coffee pot was, and here's 40 cases. So right. <laughs> we never had to look for work. We always complained it was too much, and that's what most law enforcement agencies are doing now. And they're taking shortcuts. Now, I've produced a document on how to critique a crime scene. For example, I had a matter here in Denver where uh, a dive bar, and for those who are not familiar with a dive bar, it's an anything goes. For instance, uh, this one bar, the bar manager was... Uh, just selling drugs over the bar and uh, nude girls were lying on the uh, bar and stuff like that and 
They were in a block with 10 other uh, bars. They had more calls for service there than the other 10 com- uh, combined. And and not only and the police department shows up and another rules of this police department, they uh, the first person on the scene, regardless of who, is responsible for everything that happens at the scene. The young lady who showed up was on her first night of riding alone in a patrol car, so mm-hmm. she's it. Okay, so they finally get an, an investigator or two out there, and then a bunch of uh, senior officers from the department. This was a case where a guy was beat up by three guys because they thought he was gay. He lost half his mental capacity. There was blood from the door to the patio, across the patio, an inch of the alley behind it as he was trying to get away. Well, they started with their crime scene processing. They took pictures of the big pools of blood all the way down, but they didn't put together a sketch or identify in any way where these blood was. So they start all this happy-go-lucky stuff. And then halfway through the crime scene processing, the whole crew goes for coffee. They come back later, and there's no more blood. It had been cleaned up. All right. Then they turn around and they hand the guy a piece of paper and says, write what you know, and that was it. And you know what some of those kinds of statements are like. They also had a patrolman interview 28 different people who were in the bar at the time. He did not record their names or the information they they provided. Oh, my goodness. And so this lawyer that I was working with was a relative lawyer who knew everything about everything under all circumstances. And I told him, I said, you know, you can uh, take and go after the police department for a sloppy job. Well, I can't do that because I might have to ask him for something. Well, he lost his case. And, you know, these guys, and then I saw the final report. It was... An incident report, and then mm-hmm. two other handwritten notes, and that was it. And this is a major police department, so wow. you know you can't you can't critique a an investigation unless you know what should be done. Right. Well, if, if they had worked for me, I would have fired the whole bunch of them. <laughs> but I mean, this is what you have to understand. You, we have a concept misconception that all police investigators, including the federal agencies, are competent and do an outstanding job, and that's not true. It's like one of the three-letter agencies I've worked with over the years. Some guys couldn't find a bleeding elephant in a phone booth, and others were just totally unbelievably competent. So the organization that you belong to doesn't give you credibility. It's what you do. So these are the kinds of things that uh, I uh, I like to go in with. And with lawyers, they know everything. They don't want to give you all the information because you don't need it. Heck, they're knowledgeable of the law, but most of them can't find a way to get the information they want to support their case. Exactly, you know, that is so true. Another, pro- 
another problem I've had, if you don't have a contract with a lawyer, kiss your money goodbye. I had a case here in Colorado where two attorneys refused to pay me because I neglected to get a contract. I took it to the attorney complaint unit, and they told me it was not unethical for a lawyer in Colorado to not pay their bills. Really? Yeah. I I mean, that's and, and these two clowns, uh, one of them was living out of his truck, and the other one was, in my opinion, not very competent. And I made a mistake dealing with him, and I, and I learned. From now on, if you and I were to, to engage in a mutual operation, we would have a contract, mm-hmm. and then you run into people who say, oh, I don't need, we don't need a contract, and nothing's going to go on. I said, okay. So I turn around and I write a letter and said, based on my discussions with you on a certain date, we're going to do this, this, and this. And I send it to them by by certified mail return receipt so I can prove they got it. And if they haven't responded uh, within two weeks, within 10 days, uh, I tell them it's a I consider this a valid contract and an agreement. And then you take that to court, and they're not going to get away. But you have to cover yourself. I've that seen is, cases yeah. where people really claim you didn't do a good job. I'm not paying you. Mm-hmm. Or you got the wrong information. So, you know, you have to work as a business person. So, uh, you know... It's just one of those things. Yeah, we had another. Really, in, it, go I'm ahead. Sorry, what? Go no. Go ahead. Yeah. Now another thing is you have to watch out for the cop wannabes. A few years ago in Atlanta, it was a major hotel adjacent to the airport. The security manager was a. I want to be nice to the police. So they were getting a big shipment coming in, and they wanted a place to make for meat. So he offered them the use of his hotel. So they cleaned out a couple of people on one of the top floors, and they went up there, and things didn't go very well. Uh, the bandits came in, and they had automatic weapons, the old AK-47 type. Mm-hmm. And they got into one hell of a shootout. Well, nobody got hurt, but you would take two days to count the bullet holes in all rooms on that floor. And the liability to the hotel was just out of this world. So, you know, you you got to watch these cop wannabes. So, so what should they have done differently, Bill? What should they have done differently? Say again? What should they have done differently? First of all, they should have fired that security management manager and never let anything like that go because, well, this is where I can be a crook or something like this. That is increasing the liability to your facility with your permission. So you can't say, well, I didn't tell them they could do it. And, and uh, you know, again, it goes back. You've got to know who you're dealing with. Right. And go from there. But, yeah. uh, okay. Huh. 
So um, you mentioned that you have this uh, points of risk assessment that you'll share. How would people go about getting that information from you? All they got to do is send me an email at Bill Blake and the number two at AOL.com and say, can I have your risk assessment checklist? Okay, if they don't put so, that in, I probably won't know what they want. <laughs> right, exactly. But I'll okay. send it to them if they want it. I mean, it's not, you know, I learn from other people, so I like other people to learn from the mistakes I've made. Absolutely. That's the way, that's the way we learn um, from our mistakes. Frankly, we learn a lot from our mistakes, but certainly from other people. So it's Bill Blake, B-L-A-K-E, and then uh, number two, and at AOL.com. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Very good. Well, that's, that's a, a great uh, service, I think, that you're offering folks because uh, everybody can benefit from your experience Bill, it's you know you have such uh, a long history of of working with people and helping businesses to identify the risks. Um, well, are are you working with the uh, the uh, Orlando Pulse Club? No, you I'm not that doing. Lawsuit. Basically, uh, Francie, I have not solicited any business. I have one contract that's temporarily paused because of the pandemic that I've worked for years, and that's the only one I do. But what I would like to suggest, I'm not an expert on anything but telling lies and BSing people, but if they want to call and ask, what do you think about this, or how did you do this, hey, I, I will accept any call, and if I don't know, I'll send them to somebody who does know. What number would you like to give out to folks in case they want to do that? Yeah, in other words, if somebody comes in, you know, don't ask me how they do forensic accounting because right. I, I can't even keep a checkbook. Uh-huh. So I uh, I know several guys that were in the IRSCID investigation unit. They are real good at it. They put some high-level people in in jail. So, uh, you know, I'm just a referral point. It doesn't cost them anything, just the time it takes to put together an email. Okay, so, Bill, we've got just a, a minute left here. Uh, do you want to put a, give out a number that people could call you in case they have questions they'd like to uh, depend on your yeah, expertise? They, the best number to call is 303-601-3998. Okay. The second I'll, number is 303-683-3327. Okay, let me just repeat that for everybody. The first number is 303-601-3998 or 303-683-3327. Thank you so much, right. Bill. That's, uh, it's a great <laughs> offer, and uh, I know people will take advantage of it. I have one last comment I'd like to make. Our investigators have to be innovative and think out of the box. The old order changes. Yep, you're absolutely right. So that's the end of our show, Bill. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. It's PIs Declassified, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. 
Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 